Hey everybody, a quick message. Today's episode is brought to you by Book of the Month, a monthly book subscription box that helps readers discover new books from up-and-coming authors. The process of choosing your book is so easy and fun. Besides the website and app being really easy to navigate, the smaller but varied monthly selection, which always includes an anticipated new release, by the way, means I'm not overwhelmed with too many choices and it's truly easy to make a decision. And let's be real, we're all about simplicity right now, aren't we? Oh, Mm -hmm. definitely. (laughs) So you guys, I was thrilled when I saw that this month's selections included a book I have been anticipating for over a year. I chose The Paradise Problem by Christina Lauren. It is rom-com at its finest. Think Pretty Woman meets Succession. I chose Spitting Gold by Carmela Locus about two shady spirit mediums in 19th century Paris. I mean, come on. You had me at shady spirit mediums, right? (laughs) This is a brand new hardcover book, and I'm getting it for less than I could get it anywhere else. And great news, you can get your first book for only $5 using the code PEDALS when you order at bookofthemonth.com. That's P-E-T-A-L-S. You guys, we love Book of the Month, and we know you will too. Hey, everybody. Let's pause here for station identification. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Hormone Harmony, a name that has so much more meaning to us now at the perfectly ripe ages of 55, 56, and 58. Longtime listeners know that the three of us are no strangers to hot flashes, night sweats, sleeplessness, and the occasional menopause moment, known more scientifically as menopause-related brain fog. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens that help the body adapt to stressors, including the chaotic hormonal shifts that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony has over 17,000 reviews online, and what you'll see them say over and over again is that they finally feel like themselves again. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code PCPS at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use PCPS for 15% off today. Thanks so much to Hormone Harmony and thanks to you for listening today. Did you know that the Pop Culture Preservation Society depends on support from listeners like you to keep our podcast up and running? We are an independent operation, creating, producing, distributing, and promoting the podcast by ourselves and paying for it out of our own pockets because we love it and we think it's worth it to preserve the well-loved cultural nuggets from our Gen X youth. If you'd like to become a supporter of the PCPS, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search for Pop Culture Preservation Society. Our Patreon supporters are like our pit crew, giving us the fuel we need to keep on trucking. And as a Patreon supporter, you'll also get special thank you gifts, like video recordings of our episodes, after the episode discussions, invitations to live events over Zoom, and the occasional blooper delivered straight to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening and for being a part of our society. I cannot talk about the song without talking about the music video. It is so fabulously early 80s bizarre, it's so funny. too. The little person who's dressed like a jester, they're frolicking through the countryside, <laughs> complete with maypole dancers. There's, a, there's some people dressed in rooster costumes with like a rubber rooster chicken head. There's that blonde peasant woman who keeps popping up and bopping along and like swirling her skirts. Hello world, there's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. Whole lot of love is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. 
Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the big wheel generation who wisely used their after-school time to catch up on three hours of reruns. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we'll be saving the music that came out of our tape decks and boomboxes when FM radio was the new kid in town, specifically from a year that was massive in the world of music history, 1983. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. Welcome to our first installment of an ongoing series called On Your FM Dial, celebrating the songs we heard when FM radio was becoming the dominant force behind popular music. You might remember our episode called AM Radio Gold when we highlighted the music of 1977. This is the 1980s counterpart to that series, because 1980 was kind of the dividing line between when AM dominated radio and when FM rose to the top. Do you guys remember like pushing the buttons on your car stereo to switch it from AM? That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Junkunk, junkunk. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mine were like rectangles. Little yeah, little rectangles. skinny rectangles. Yeah. That's and a really good sound. Tactile. That's it's a, a good, good sound. sound. That's a good ASMR it's a good thing. feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, somewhere between the years of 1980 and 1983, you probably received a boombox for Christmas. You no doubt posed with it for a photo in front of the Christmas tree. And the beauty of the boombox was that it had a tape deck, maybe two tape decks, <laughs> and you could take it on the bus. <laughs> Do you guys see mine behind my head? Do you see my my pink sharp boombox oh, up there? Oh yes, mm-hmm. I do. I just That's like nineteen eighty five version. It's a little bit older, yeah. But you guys, that was mm-hmm. my first one though. Like that though. Like yeah. I didn't have a. I just had a great idea. Side note: mm-hmm. Do you know how when your kids were little, you had these busy boards and things for them to do? Like you could buckle things. We had them too, or <laughs> zip, right? What yep. we yep. need is to create a Gen X tactile board where we have. Phone dials like the to rotary phone. to rotaries. We Ring. have we have radio buttons to around. push. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Knobs, knobs. Knobs to turn. To turn. Wouldn't. Yes. Yep. Okay. Everyone channel. listening. A channel it's changer. Trademarked. Yeah. Trademarked. You can't yep. use it. We mm-hmm. just thought out loud. TM. Yeah. PZPS TM. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Today we're focusing on the year 1983, a year that is so historic, it deserves its own history book. 1983 gave us some of the most memorable music in history, much of it in the form of one-hit wonders. But this is also when we see the emergence of some of the biggest stars in music of all time. To see how big 1983 was, all you have to do is look to the Grammy Awards of 1984, which gives awards to music released in the previous year. This was the 26th Grammy Awards, and just like 1978, this was also hosted by John Denver. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well, if 1983 deserves its own history book, then the 1984 Grammys deserve several chapters in that book. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes, because it, and actually it could be an entire podcast episode, the 1984 Grammys. That's a good idea, They aired on February 28th, 1984, and I was no doubt watching that episode on a small black and white portable TV in my freshman year dorm room. It is notable for having the largest Grammy Award televised audience ever, even till today. I know why. I know why. I'm not going to say it right now. Keep okay. going. You don't have to <laughs> but say I have, why. But I just have a feeling. I just have okay. a feeling I know why. I don't know that there's a science behind the why, but I might guess too. Um, you mentioned that John Denver was our host, and he entertained us um, on that 
Grammy night with a duet with Floyd the Muppet singing Gone Fishing. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> yeah, that might be it. Other Question performers answered. that evening included Donna Summer, George Thorogood and the Destroyers, Irene Cara, Sheena Easton. But one of the most iconic moments of that night for me was seeing Michael Jackson bring okay. his dates to the event. We had Wait, did you say dates? on one arm his dates, yes. plural. Yes. Oh. One arm was our friend Brooke Shields, That's and the right. other was Emmanuel Lewis, a.k.a. That's Webster. right. I can picture, I can see the yep. pictures yes. in like People Magazine yep. right now. That's exactly what I was going to say. Some of those, mm-hmm. those images are burned into my memory. And yikes, speaking of burned, this was also the Grammys where Michael was recovering, if you remember, from the oh burns God. he received on That's his scalp right. when he was taping the Pepsi commercial. Now, despite what your feelings are about him now, there is absolutely no doubt that his talent was otherworldly and his impact on the music industry is probably second to none. On that night, he won eight Grammys, which is still the record for the most Grammys won in one year. It still stands. That record It still, still stands, stands today. Uh-huh. Pretty iconic. He yep. won four. Album of the Year. Do you guys remember what the name of that album was? Well, that was Thriller, right? Thank you very much. Thriller. It was Thriller. Because yeah. there's no underestimating the impact that Michael Jackson had on um, the culture. It was everywhere. And when I hear PYT or want to be starting something, I get extremely warm, nostalgic feelings because I'm just starting high school. I'm like walking onto the high school grounds for the very first time. Where did you come from, baby? When you finally learn to do that, you were like, I've arrived. (laughs) Well, all of those songs are so visual to me, too, because of, you know, MTV and the music video. So whenever I hear those songs, it's not Mm -hmm. just singing along to the song. It is a visual of those videos. And yes, yeah. yeah. Because he was famously, we know, I think we've talked about this in the podcast before, they weren't playing any black artists on MTV. And when Thriller got so big and they wanted to play Michael Jackson's songs, his record label was like, unless you start playing black artists, you don't get any Michael Jackson. You get no Michael Jackson. And so MTV was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and yeah, then that's right. I think when we on. had Nancy Davis co on, she was, mm-hmm. she talked about that too. In yeah. our MTV episode. Yeah. yeah. It's a great episode, mm-hmm. listeners. Go back to, Oh my goodness, May or June of 2021. Okay, so really quick, I'll give you some of our other winners of that year. So our best new artist that year would be Culture Club. Okay, (gasps) I know. Pop female vocalist, Irene Cara. Good for her. R.I.P. Best pop male vocalist, also R.I.P., Michael Jackson. Yeah. Best pop vocal group, The Police. Best rock female vocalist, Pat Benatar. And oh, I was going to guess that. Rock male vocalist, Michael Jackson. Okay, song of the year. So our nominees were Every Breath You Take, All Night Long, Beat It, Billie Jean, and Maniac. Oh, boy. What do you think? I'm going to let I you guys. Jean. Billie Jean. I'm going to say Billie Jean. 
It was every breath you take. Oh, I sting. It was. Yes, it was. Well, that's good. I wanted to be well-rounded. Yeah. Yeah. So that's just a highlight, a little smattering of who some of the Grammy Award winners were that year. Gives you a little taste of what kind of music was on our FM dial. the artists from 1983 were bringing us what we called at the time new wave music, most of it from British artists, so much so that in retrospect, this period is now known as the second British invasion. Well, I cannot tell you how thrilled I am to have been given this topic to discuss (laughs) listeners because pretty much all of my favorite songs from about 1982 to 1985 are thanks to the second British invasion. And I am not even kidding. You're going to hear in just a minute. I am not even kidding. So the second British invasion is just basically what it sounds like. If the first is marked by the Beatles and the Who, the Rolling Stones, et cetera, in the 60s, the second is the early to mid-80s bands from the UK that became super popular in the United States, primarily thanks to MTV, right? Bands like Soft Cell, A Flock of Seagulls, Billy Idol, Simple Minds, The Police, Depeche Mode, Tears for Fears, Def Leppard, Howard Jones, The Human League, Haircut 100, Culture Club, Eurythmics, Wham! And oh yeah, a little band of boys called Duran Duran. I just, all those bands I just said, pretty much all I was listening to in the early to mid 80s. Fun fact that I'd like to enter as Exhibit A on July 16th, 1983, 18 singles of British origin charted in the American top 40, topping the previous high of 14, which was set when? In June of 1965. Oh my God. Do you want to know who they were? In yes, 1983, yes. 18 yep. of the top 40 were from British bands. That's almost half. Yeah. Almost half. The number one and number two spots, um, Police and Eddie Grant. But then I'm just going to give you the names of the bands that held a spot mm-hmm. in the top 40 on July, the week of July 16th, 1983. Besides Police, Eddie Grant, we have Kinks, Kajagugu, Madness, Duran Duran, Culture Club, Elton John, Eurythmics, Human League, A Flock of Seagulls, Fix, Def Leppard, David Bowie. Culture Club and Naked Eyes. Wow. Wow. Crazy. And those were like all our favorite songs. I know. Right? So why the sudden influx of Brits, you may be asking? I could go into why synthesizers played a big role and who boy did they, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Big time. Or I could get into the big hair and sleek outfits, androgynous makeup and style. Hello, Boy George and Annie Lennox. Mm -hmm. But what I'll tell you is this. The reason for the popularity and success all boiled down to MTV. It really did. Mm -hmm. Um, Music videos that were more like short films had been popular on British music television for years, but not in the United States. The only music videos that existed really here were videos of concert footage or live performances. So when MTV launched in August of 1981, it had little choice but to play mostly music videos of British bands, which in turn led to radio stations getting inundated with requests to play the music, which in turn led to record sales spikes, obviously. And Rick Carroll, who was the very influential program director at K-Rock in Los Angeles, said, 
There wasn't American product worthy of being played every three hours. So we had to look to British imports to fill the void. So it's this whole cyclical thing, right? With MTV Mm -hmm. and leading to it all. But um, I mean, God bless it is what I say. God I bless know. the second Hallelujah. British invasion. And it really marked our adolescence. It put a timestamp oh. on it, on our adolescence, like a very particular sound to our adolescence. Well, right. And it made music visual. So it is not possible to talk about the music of 1983 without highlighting its historic value. But today is also personal. And Carolyn and Michelle and I are going to share the songs we waited for on the radio. We'll tell you who we were, where we were, and what these songs meant to us. And the reason that we do this, the reason that we connect the songs that we liked with the people that we were, is because there's actual science backing up how we feel about the songs of our youth. Studies show that we are not hyper-focused on the music of our youth because we think it's better. Although I think it is. Mm, Yeah. It's because it's closely linked to our personal memories. Well, we could have told you that, right? So music that was on the radio during your adolescence was associated with more autobiographical memories than any other age. They call this music-related reminiscence. And it seems to peak at around age, drumroll please, 14. 14. I was going to say that. 14. Songs popular when people are 14 evoke the most memories overall. Well, it's going to be why I have so many feelings coming up because I was 14 in 1983. Because um, 1983 took me from eighth grade to ninth grade, which is a big, huge year for a lot of reasons in someone's adolescent development. And I can sum up the entirety of my 1983 in two words. Duran Duran. (laughs) The end. (laughs) That's the episode. But honestly, you guys, it was such a big year for me. And it was such a great year for me. I was so into my friends and fun and puberty and and Duran Duran. And we all loved it together. And it was so fun. Moving on the floor now. I had no idea at the time I was mere months away from having it all ripped out from under me and having to move yeah. away from it all. But so when I go back to that 83 slash 84, beginning of 84, it's it's gold. It's gold for me. And, yes, and the is. music of that era has played a huge part in why it's so gold to me. It's your soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you guys that I think 1983 was perhaps the most impactful year of my entire life, like up until now, if I have to look at a year. Um, I turned 18 in September of 1983. I start the year as a senior in high school. So I've got prom, I've got graduation and all those other moments of senior year. And that summer, I experienced what at the time was the most soul-crushing sadness of my life. We move halfway across the country from where all my friends were to Texas because my dad was transferred. A few months later, I start college. Music plays a huge part in that first semester of college, whether it was bonding with new friends over our shared musical interests or the songs being played at my first college parties or the posters that were hanging in dorm rooms. My, um, I distinctly remember my roommate having a Prince poster and a police poster. And I admit I was a little bit skeptical about the, I mean, the Prince poster. So I wasn't sure, like, am I going to get along with this young lady? And when I hear songs from that year, I can immediately be transported to a 
beer-crusted dance floor or my Marameco-inspired bedroom or my boyfriend's Dodge Duster. It, it can literally suck me back into time. It's like a transportation device. That's a huge, that's a huge, huge period of life. You oh my gosh. went yes. from a high schooler to a college student. And mm-hmm. I was on similar ground because in 1983, it was the end of junior high and my very first taste of high school. Talk about impactful, right? I was just having so much fun and I was starting to get naughty and I was meeting <laughs> people who were older than me, girls that were older than, they weren't girls, they were women. They were like adult women. They looked like adults and they smoked and they drank and they had boyfriends. And it was like, it was like I was turning the channel from eight is enough to Dallas. So choosing a favorite of 1983 is not possible for me. Maybe because I was 14. You know, there are just too many memories. I settled on the songs that stitched together my story of going from a junior high schooler to a high schooler. Just some of the many, many songs that carved out a space in my adolescent heart. So even though we were supposed to pick three, that was literally impossible for all of us. Mm -hmm. None of us did that. Everybody just like settle in, grab a pillow because we're going to be here for a while. So I put my songs into themed categories. And the first category that I would like to talk about is called boys, boys. So <laughs> I'm, I'm cracking myself already, <laughs> cracking myself up. Only You by the band Yaz from the UK. with, I'm not going to use his real name, Ronald McDonald. We're going to call him Ronald McDonald. Oh. I fell in love with Ronald McDonald to this song. My quote unquote Ronald McDonald crush was like a full-time job when I was in ninth grade. And this song, Only You, was the soundtrack to that crush. It was so delicate, so poignant. It was so different in its approach to a love song. And it was actually the first song that married electronic music and a ballad And this was a signal to me that a new era in music was here. It sounded like something from a John Hughes movie. And Ronald McDonald was the reason I had no absences in the last half of ninth grade. I couldn't imagine missing (laughs) school. How would I see him? How would I see him? So in the U.S., um, only you peaked on the charts at number 67. So although it got a lot of radio play in my area, it still might be classified as sort of an underground hit. But in the U.K., it's been ranked as the eighth best pop song of all time. Wow. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Somehow, I don't know how, but Ronald McDonald just wasn't getting the message, even though this was not a secret crush, not even close. And the Stein girls were very instrumental in orchestrating and publicizing my crush, but still nothing. And finally, I decided to do the bravest thing I've ever done in my whole entire life. And I called him. And I boldly said, it's time to check the box. Do you like me or not? And he said, no. Oh, that hurts. I couldn't believe it. He was just like, no. But can How did he not like you? You were adorable. I, I agree. I was adorable. But <laughs> this is monumental. I mean, this is why Kristen is sometimes on a pedestal for me. The 
balls it took for you to pick up the phone and call. I mean, I'm still, I'm a senior in high school. I have a boyfriend at this point, but I'd still be a note with the little boxes. I would not have the (laughs) confidence it took to pick up that phone. So whether or not he's saying yes or no to you, Kristen, that is a moment that defined who you were and are. It really did. You're right, Carolyn, because I'm not so sure that I had the confidence, but sometimes the difference between, um, you know what they say, what is courage? Courage is being afraid and doing it anyway. And I think that's what it was. I was Mm -hmm. terrified, but I knew I had to do it. I had to do it. And so I remember sitting on my couch with the phone in my lap, just being like, (sighs) Oh man, who, who answered when you called? Did he answer the phone or did you? No, he didn't. His mom did. His mom answered the phone and I I almost said his name. This is Kristen (laughs) Nilsson. Is Ronald McDonald there? Is Ronald McDonald home? May I please speak to Ronald McDonald? Yeah. And she said, just a minute, please. So, um, you know, when he says no, I tried to be super casual and chill. And I said, you know, okay, whatever. And we chit chatted. And I was like, you know, so what are you getting hot lunch tomorrow? I'm just trying to act like I don't care. But once I hung up, the dam broke. And I put my 45 of Truly by Lionel Richie on my record player. And I cried. And I cried, and I cried. And when the song ended, I picked up the needle and I set it back down on the record at the beginning again, and I did this 11 times in a row. It took 11 trulies to get all the crying out. And I was, I, it, it's very clear, I was using music to process uh-huh. my emotions. Music therapy. Eleven times. Mm-hmm. There's, a whole, there's a whole major in that now, you know? You can yes. go to school for music therapy for a reason. There's a reason. I could write a whole paper on Truly Aww. by Lionel Richie. <laughs> Thank you, Lionel Richie, for helping, through that very, helping me through that very difficult moment. As Kristen has pointed out, 1983 had amazing, iconic songs. So to choose three to share, it's virtually impossible. So I had to give myself a little framework. So I made my choices based on what songs gave me the most visceral experience when listening to them now. Like I could feel myself being teleported back, back to a time um, where I'm in a particular place and I can see what's around me and I can smell what's around me. So those were my criteria for how I chose my songs. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to share my first one with you guys. And um, it is Allentown by Billy Joel. Are just nodding. Um, no, I do least. like that song, and that that is a timestamp for me too. Like I can feel the time and the place, and I'm and where I am when right. that song. And is I playing. think place for me plays a very big part in this because at this point I live right outside of Philadelphia and not mm. very far from Allentown, and yep. it was just the grittiness of it. I think yeah. Philadelphia they really love their image of hardworking, yeah. scrappy. We don't do it the easy way, um, and that's. 
kind of how I lived. So living outside of Philadelphia, this song was on the radio a lot, and I loved Billy Joel. And at the time, it was almost the antithesis of some of the music we've previously talked about. I mean, this wasn't a flashy prince or a made-up, you know, Boy George or this dazzling Michael Jackson. This was Billy Joel telling it like it is. And the piano. Um, mm-hmm. And we prided ourselves on that in where I lived. So Allentown will always be that kind of uh, a memory for me. It transports me. I go back for some reason to my high school cafeteria. That's where I am when I think wow. of this song. And then you had to leave that area. You have um, hit the nail on the head there, Kristen. And then I had to leave. And yeah. I wasn't just going, you know, over to New York or Connecticut. I was going to Texas. This was going to be a huge change. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, that, I mean, the difference in culture, the difference in people between those two places and the way that you told people that you were from New Jersey, you were clinging to an identity. Oh, without, yes, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. Wait, mm-hmm. Carolyn, this is off the, this is, <clears throat> edit this out, but question, you said that was like such a hard move for you. Like you were crushed because you had to leave your friends. Weren't you going to college in Texas anyway? No. Um, and oh. I don't know. If you didn't know that story, but my mom, I was going to be going to school in New York, but my mom said I could not because it was too far away when they were moving. So I had to find a college in Texas. <gasps> I don't so think sight I ever unseen, knew that. Yeah. May of my senior year of high school, <gasps> I um, went in to my guidance what? counselor and I applied to three schools and I said, whoever accepts me first. Oh, I'm so sorry. So not only are you having this very horrible move, you're, you're everything you've envisioned since you were, mm-hmm. knew you were going to New York, that got, I am a little bit upset at Lillian for that decision. I am too. I know. Mm-hmm. But you guys, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't no, for that true. move because you that's yeah, right. we have, yes, we that have Andy true. and all of that. But, um, but yeah, it was traumatic. Okay, you guys, if you guys listening can actually feel my passion and my feelings coming through any device you're listening on, I will not be surprised because all of my favorite Duran Duran songs had been released by the end of 1983. So I honestly could fill my entire list with Duran Duran songs, but don't worry, I did not. (laughs) I have instead devised a workaround to get three songs into this one spot. So as luck would have it, my favorite Duran Duran song was actually released in November of 1983. My second and fourth favorite songs charted in 1983. But honestly, after my number one song, they all pretty much tie. And if you don't get all that, it's fine. It's fine. I'm going to hold a Duran Duran 101 class right after the episode for anyone wants to stick around because right now I'm going to be focusing on my feelings. So my number one 1983 song and my very favorite Duran Duran song, which is a little like choosing a child, is The Reflex. Which was released on November 21st, 1983 on the very incredible album, Seven and the Ragged Tiger. I'm holding it up right now. And you guys, I want to show you, this This is not my album because this is 1983, so I didn't go buy an album. What did I buy instead? You got a cassette tape. I want everyone to look at my cassette tape. And um, hopefully if this segment's on YouTube, you guys can see this too. But Carolyn and Kristen, could you tell what tape this is? <laughs> um, no, because oh, no. all of the words are rubbed off. I'm I'm scared about what you were doing with that cassette tape, Michelle. All of the words are rubbed off. And there's still a little piece of um, of masking tape that says Michelle S. I don't even know where to begin 
uh, with this song because I have so many feelings. The opening, and then the reflex, flex, 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 and then the drums. You guys, I want to cry every time I hear it. And that has a lot to do with seeing them perform that song live on February 3rd, 1984 in Seattle, Washington, my very first concert. I'm wearing my t-shirt right now. This is not actually the t-shirt, but it's a replica I found on eBay because my t-shirt would never fit me now. You guys, when the drums hit, Simon, John, and Andy did this big synchronized jump forward before starting to sing, you've gone too far this time. Simon is insanely dreamy in this song. I swear I'm 14 again every time I hear it. And as luck would have it, they filmed the concert performance, but another one on the same tour, for the official video so I can watch it anytime I want to on YouTube. God bless YouTube. (laughs) And lucky you listeners, because I'm putting it in this week's Weekly Reader because I love this song so much, and most especially this performance so, so much, and I have to share it with all of you because I have to have you see the beginning where when the drums hit, they do this synchronized jump forward. It It will give you nipple lightning for the rest of your life. I'm so passionate about this song and this video, you guys. I can't even tell you. And then quickly, my second and fourth favorite Duran Duran songs charted in 1983, Is There Something I Should Know, came in at number 55 on the Hot 100 chart, and is, I think, the first Duran Duran video I remember seeing. It was the classic, you'd see it on MTV with your friend, and then you'd wait up all damn night until you could see it again, and then you'd wait another three hours until you could see it again. And we did the same with Hungry Like the Wolf, which charted at number 17 in 1983. Oh, sweet Jesus, to be the boy squeezing the sponge into Simon's mouth in Hungry Like the Wolf video. (laughs) That is the video that did it for me, too. Yeah. Hungry Like the Wolf. I was just like, what is this? hats, Simon's glasses. So since we have yet to do a Duran Duran episode here at the Pop Culture Preservation Society, if you'd like to hear me gush and educate and get into the details of the songs and videos of the wonderful Rio album, I was a guest last spring on the Untitled Gen X podcast, educating our Gen X little sister, Lori, the host of that wonderful podcast, um, who had missed out on the whole Duran Duran boat because she was born in like 1979. Um, And it's a really great conversation for Duran Duran fans to listen to. And I'm going to share the link to that podcast episode as well in this week's Weekly Reader. Wow. Mm -hmm. I can feel the enthusiasm coming through my screen right now. Okay. I need okay. to take a moment so someone else Everybody needs to just share take a song. breather. Yeah. I'm going to go smoke yeah, a cigarette. We need like a palate cleanser. <laughs> just kidding. Palate, just I don't take smoke. it down. <sighs> okay. You everybody ready? Yeah. Okay. So my next category, my next category is called I'm a new wave girl. And that's because in 1983, music was changing and I knew it. I took notice. I'm like, what is happening? It was just, you couldn't ignore it. It felt so radical and fresh. And they were songs mostly from these British bands or artists who were invading our airwaves, like Michelle was talking about, the second British invasion. They weren't rock and roll and they weren't R&B, but they seemed to give me what I needed from both. Songs like Come On Eileen, Der Commissar, Major Tom, She Blinded Me With Science. I used to say that Come On Eileen was my favorite song of all time, like of my whole life. Um, but my but 
I changed my mind now. And so my current favorite from the new wave era is Big Country by Big Country, which I thought was on the album Big Country, but that's just wishful thinking. (laughs) And it's actually also known as In a Big Country. This is the song, you guys, with the iconic bagpipe solo. (laughs) Because they're from Scotland. I love the bagpipes in this song. So this is from Song Facts. Song Facts says, from its opening notes, in a big country, bursts with fresh energy. The Celtic guitar parts produce a signature bagpipe sound as lead singer Stuart Adamson yelps, Sha! <laughs> I love it so much! Sha! <laughs> and then he, and the song is like urging the listeners to remain resilient. So in America, um, this was the only big country hit, really, of significance. It got a lot of airplay. It got a lot of radio play in Minnesota, in my area, but I don't think it did around the country. But it was a huge hit on MTV, just like a lot of these other British Invasion songs. Got a lot of rotation on the, the video, got a lot of rotation. So according to the lead singer, um, the lyrical idea from Big Country was about having hope a sense of self in times of trouble. And he told a group of fans that his favorite lyrics from the song were, I'm not expecting to grow flowers in a desert, but I can live and breathe and see the sun in winter time. And to me, that's exactly what I felt. This song felt so bright and it made me want to dance a jig. I don't know if they do jigs in Scotland, but I it's right next to Ireland, I so. so I bet they sure. do. Yeah. And it sounds like that was kind of their intention, was Mm -hmm. to make people feel like that. But there's sort of a haunting irony with this song. So when Big Country disbanded, his second marriage collapsed, and the lead singer suffered from a deep depression. And his wife declared him missing in November of 2001, and the following month, he was found dead by suicide. The working title of Big Country, you guys, is Stay Alive. That's the working title of the song. And in concert, Stuart Adamson would often introduce the song with the words, stay alive. Wow. That's how he would introduce the song. And Song Facts says that reconciling the resilient message of that song with Adamson's eventual suicide was very difficult Mm -hmm. for fans. I never knew that. It's almost like it was, it's almost like his fate was, he wrote his fate. You know? Yes. Yeah. It's spooky. Decades before. And yet yeah. it makes mm. me treasure the song all the more. Like, I'm oh, singing yeah. these words, but I wasn't listening to them. I wasn't listening to, I'm not expecting to grow flowers in a desert, but I can live and breathe and see the sun in wintertime. Now I hear it. Maybe mm. the big country to him was heaven. In a <gasps> big country dream. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was Scotland. Well, probably. <laughs> I just assumed. But now I'm just, you know... <laughs> Now I'm just reading into it more than I need to, but. So RIP Big Country, you made a big lasting impact on me in 1983. Okay, so my second choice is Gloria by Laura Branigan.
I love that song. Um, I'm trying so hard not to sing. Like every time you guys say a song, mm-hmm. I just want to like, Dying Gloria. And yeah. it just doesn't help. Well, <laughs> just and that, that line is one of the reasons I love that song. This song I would belt out. This song, I'm by myself usually when I'm remembering it. I'm in the car in the Buick LeSabre that I drove to school, and I'm just belting out because I could by myself in the car. Calling Gloria. 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 Yes. And that staccato um, kind of fun beat, it just, um, it lived in me. I just, I loved that song. And I think to me, it was almost kind of an anthem. There was some kind of independence I felt when I sang it. Um, maybe it was because I yelled it out and maybe because I have this memory of driving by myself in the car, but it's it really affects me like an anthem does. And um, it's not really about the lyrics. It's about that entire experience I had when being with this song. And it was sad. I looked up that... Um, Laura Branigan had several hits in 1983, um, and she passed away in 2004. She was only like 52 years old. Isn't that oh, sad? Isn't that that's so sad? super young. Oh, no. Yeah, isn't it, though? Yeah. And I can picture her. She was one of those people that was um, not super comfortable on stage. Like, she was a little awkward in her movements, mm. and yet nobody seemed to care, and everybody just loved going, Gloria, Gloria. Gloria. <laughs> Excellent. Did you ever sing Carolyn, Carolyn? Oh, Carolyn, the area, area. I always thought they were, I know these lyrics aren't correct, but I always thought she was asking for the area code because she's asking for the number, the number, and then you get the area, area. And I know that's not right. Yeah. But I just figured Laura Branigan needed to know the full phone number because, you know, in those days we just used the seven numbers. Okay, my second song is one Kristen just mentioned, and that is Come On Eileen. And Come On Eileen for me is in a deadlock tie with Karma Chameleon. You guys, I wasn't kidding about all my favorites from 1983 being British invasion bands. Um, Both of those songs give me the same exact feeling. Anytime they come on one of my playlists, which is often, um, it it raises my mood. I'm gleeful. I feel light. I'm happy. Um, But I'm going to talk about Come On Eileen today because, you guys, this is a song that's been one of my very favorites for 48 years that I still only know about 10 (laughs) words of. (laughs) You got to look them up. You'll die. You'll die Uh, when you see what they're saying. Um, But from the Celtic fiddle open... And then what happens? The drums and the bass. 48 years of nipple lightning. I'll just say it right now. And honestly, as a song that I have not ever been able to do more than kind of bumble along to, I really can't explain why I've loved it for so long, but I think it's like what I just said before. It's the tune, the melody, the music, the spirit of it. It's just all for me. It's just, it makes me happy. It makes me um, smile. I love it so much. Um, and I want to ask you guys a couple of things, speaking of the lyrics, fun facts. And you're, you probably, Kristen probably does know this. Um, and actually, Carolyn, you probably do too. But do you know who Johnny Ray is? Poor I just old Johnny this, Ray. I all, for, until, until like this week, now. I like thought I it was Johnny Roy yeah. because of, um, because of their accent. Johnny Ray has been cited by critics as a major precursor to what became rock and roll. He had jazz and blues influenced 
music. And you guys, I just feel like such an idiot. That makes the video make a lot more sense because I loved this video. The whole first oh. like 30 seconds is black and white footage of Johnny Ray. They actually have it on their shoes. He's getting off the airplane. The girls are all screaming. The lyrics say, poor old Johnny Ray sounded sad up on the radio, moved a million hearts in mono. So what the hell is this song about, right? This is, comes from americansongwriter.com. Come on, Eileen spins off from that basic concept to articulate the youthful urge for separation from an older generation, hoping to indoctrinate oh, yeah. these youngsters into their tired society. Roland, the singer, name checks weepy 50s crooner Johnny Ray at the beginning of the song to symbolize the kind of sorrow that hangs over the entire scene he wishes to escape. These people around here, he sings, wear beaten down eyes, sunken smoke-dried faces, so resigned to what their fate is. You could have paid me $14 billion and I would never have known that's what it says. Nope. He promises Eileen that their fate will be different. No, not us. We are far too young and clever. And then, of course, he wants to take her dress off and he we wants them to be naked. Far too young and clever. Far too young and clever. clever. I got that part. Having now watched the video, having done this research, why haven't I done it decades before? I don't know. Whatever. It is what it is. But with this in mind, I have an entirely new appreciation for this song. I loved this video. I mean, the overalls, they're all in overalls. I, I love overalls. I that's my style right now. I love Like overalls. the dirty overalls. And yes. the and the thing in like the little bandana in your oh, hair. I, loved I think it. that's what set my style for the rest of my life. So that and Apollonia. Right. Just <laughs> marry those two things together. AmericanSongwriter.com wonders if it's the greatest one hit wonder of all time. They say oh. there's nothing wrong with having one hit when it's as memorable as Come on Eileen. You'll hum this tune forever. Okay, my next pick is still in the category of I'm a new wave girl, and I think it segues really nicely with Come On Eileen, and that is Goody Two Shoes by Adamant. This was another example of a song that was a sign that something was changing, and I put Adamant in the same category as Boy George, just flamboyant at all costs. I'm doing things my way. And just look at me. Everybody look at me. Look at me. They were like screaming for people to look at them. And they just dared you to judge them. I dare you to judge. Mm -hmm. So I remember Goody Two Shoes from the ninth grade school dance. And it's probably the hardest I've ever danced in my whole life. (laughs) To this song, I threw my body around like a rag doll. I was just drenched and sweaty, and my ponytail was all askew. It was the last dance of junior high, and it felt like we were leaving everything behind. I was just leaving it all on the floor, right? Like I could do what I wanted, like Adam Ant, right? I was just doing whatever I wanted. And I didn't have to worry about embarrassing myself, because tomorrow I'd be in high school, and none of these people would matter anymore. Except, of course, that all of these people from junior high are going with me to the high school. So I don't know why I thought there was going to be any sort of dividing line. There really wasn't. Um, This school dance was also the scene of another embarrassing tantrum. 
Um, okay, well, you'll hear you'll hear coming up in our um, we have an episode coming up about the movie Fame, where you're going to hear about an epic tantrum that I threw with my parents. Hmm, here's another one. So before the dance, my parents informed me informed me that they would be chaperoning. Oh no! And this was tragic news. They were going to ruin my life, and I told them so. I said exactly that. You're ruining my life. I screamed, I cried, I threw myself on the floor. You would think this was like the worst thing that ever happened to me in my entire life. And my parents weren't giving in, and they treated me exactly like a toddler throwing a tantrum. They completely ignored me. They like stepped over my body, you know, and just like kept unloading the dishwasher (laughs) or whatever. Like she's not even screaming and crying. But they did agree to some ground rules, and I made them promise that if they saw me, Even if they caught a glimpse of me out of the corner of their eye, they had to run to the other side of the gym. They had to cross the gym and be in a different hemisphere of the gym than I was. And I think they really did (laughs) because I never saw them. I didn't see them the whole night. But wait, there's more. So at the school dance, I got one very special slow dance with Ronald McDonald and It was a pity dance because this is after the phone call. And so I was both excited and also humiliated at the same time. And then after my slow dance with Ronald McDonald, they played Truly. No, they didn't. And what do you think I did? Cried. Yes, they did. I ran dramatically from the gym, wailing like I was some jilted lover from a high school play <laughs> or something. Like, oh, so much so that people ran after me. Like, people who, like, knew me from gym class were like, Kristen, Kristen, are you okay? And I was like, yes, leave me alone. I'm waiting for the Stein girls. <laughs> right. And they were like, no, Kristen, you'll find another. It was very... <laughs> Very dramatic. It was such a pity dance. It really was. (laughs) You know what? That's kind of cruel of him, though. He probably thought he was doing a nice job by giving you a pity dance, but I think that's kind of mean because he, how does he know it wasn't going to like inflate your expectation, right? Like, oh, she's going to reignite my feelings. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, maybe Mm -hmm. it wasn't a pity dance. Maybe he started to have some feelings. Too late, buddy. Well, yeah. (laughs) That's right. His loss, but. And it wouldn't be, um, I mean, this is the thing about moving from junior high to high school. I leave that crush behind, and months later, I'll just tack this song on, All This Love by DeBarge, would be the first song that I ever made out to. I love DeBarge. (laughs) I'm going to whisper that because I feel like I I have to whisper to admit, I love DeBarge. All of it. Why are you whispering? Because I feel like that's, you get mocked if you love DeBarge. It's sort of like me. I also feel like I have to whisper that I love Air Supply. Well, they're on my list too. Let us just just go to Carolyn because I think that every song on my list and everything could be mocked. I'm thinking I'm like a 45-year-old woman in an 18-year-old, (laughs) 17-year-old's body with my song choices. Compared to Kristen's, I mean, I've got Air Supply on here. I think I might have Rita Coolidge and um, Kenny Rogers. Um, I've got some different ones. 
But I'm going to share my third choice right now. Okay. And much like I told you Gloria was kind of this anthem about my independence, this song um, would be the one that accompanies my heartache of 1983. Mm. And there was a lot of that for me in 1983. Um, It would be Faithfully by Journey. Lots of sad moments for my 17-year-old heart that included the heartbreak of first love, the moving that I've talked about. Many songs fall under this umbrella, truly being one of them. um, It just makes me super sad. And I go right to my striped bedspread in my yellow bedroom where I am bawling about something. And these were the songs that were playing. And much like you, Kristen, I probably played faithfully. 45 times over and over and over again and just felt sorry for myself and just thought, is this, is this what it is? Is this oh, all there is? Oh, I'm so, I know. And I really had a good 1980. I mean, there were so many wonderful moments about 1983, but this one just pulls me yeah. back to a lot of those um, just heartbreakingly sad in my gut, just feeling sick to my stomach kind of. Oh, songs. And, and would this moments. also be under, do you have a category also called boys? Well, there was only, sadly, boy mm-hmm. um, at this time in my life. And yeah, they would all be probably these really sad mm-hmm. songs that would go along to boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those of my friends who are listening know who boy is, but we'll just leave it at I had boy. one of those, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We all did. last song is, um, <clears throat> I chose for the same reason Kristen did, School Dances. And my last song is Safety Dance by Men Without Hats. So to me, that's what this song is. This song is School Dances. And in 1983, I was a freshman in high school. So these were the very first school dancer dances that really mattered. I went to a very small high school in Ridgefield, Washington, my freshman year, and we had after-game dances on Friday nights um, when we'd have a home football game. And when this song came on, everyone was on the dance floor, which was actually the dark cafeteria. Oh, and I mean, <laughs> Kristen, when you said you threw yourself around to goody two, goody two shoes, that's what safety dance was. We all became the coolest dancers you can ever imagine. Because while in middle school, we were doing a lot of step, touch, step together, step, touch, step, t- you know, back and forth when you would fast dance. Yep. And you can almost mm-hmm. picture the boys kind of like awkwardly, maybe not really to the beat, going <laughs> step Brady. together, step together. Yeah. High school dances Mm -hmm. were when you just, I don't know, we just felt free. And I think it has a lot to do with the music of that time, with the synthesizers and everything, allowed us the freedom to kind of just go nuts, right? And Safety Dance for me is one of those songs, still is. We sang, we clapped our hands after looking at them, of course. Everybody look at your hands, you know. 
We <laughs> pantomimed the hell out of the S S S S A A A A F F F F E E E E T T T T Y Y Y Y safety dance dun 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 and the it was so electrifying and it was just a whole new type of music right it was just so danceable mm-hmm. and i think that allowed us to just like i said to just let loose um the music video i cannot talk about the song without talking about the music video it is so fabulously early 80s bizarre it's so funny. too Singer Ivan Doroshuk is with the little person who's dressed like a jester. They're frolicking through the countryside, <laughs> complete with maypole dancers. There's a there's some people dressed in rooster costumes with like a rubber rooster chicken head. There's that blonde peasant woman who keeps popping up and bopping along and like swirling her skirts. You guys, it turns out she was later an editor at Cosmopolitan Magazine. The video is all kinds, all kinds of wonderful. It doesn't go with the song really at all because do you guys no. know what a safety dance is? I I never even questioned it. Mm-hmm. What is it? The lyrics were penned by the band's frontman, Ivan Doroshuk, and it refers back to a time when he himself was ejected from a nightclub in Ottawa by a bouncer. Oh. Okay, I'm going to describe to you what he was doing, and you guys are going to know because we're all from the same time. You're going to be able to picture it. Listeners, you will be too. He was, he was ejected because... This is how he was dancing. He was pogo dancing to the B-52's Rock Lobster, which is the punk rock style (laughs) dance in which the participant jumps up and down while keeping your arms and legs very rigid. You know that pogo Uh to Rock Lobster? Rock Lobster! (laughs) And people would jump so high in the air when we would dance. And then sometimes you get down on the floor and you wiggle and wiggle. And so so he learned, I guess, after that, that there there is a term called a safety dance. And that's what um, it's ter- it's coined by. As in, that's assuming that that's not safe. That's the pogo, not safe, and they, and you have to do a safer dance. Yes, you need the a pogo dance. style, the pogo stick dance to that he was doing to B 52s Rock Lobster <laughs> was not considered a safety dance. I'm guessing the frolicking down the lane to the little village with the maypole dancers <laughs> is considered a safety. Oh, dance. the maypole is safe. Maybe, maybe yeah, that's maple why. Maypole is yeah. safe. Oh. Okay. Oh, you guys, that's such a great song. I love it so much. I still love it. It is. We can dance. We can dance. Everybody look at your hands. We can dance. We can dance. Everybody's taking the chance. Save the dance. Oh, let's save the dance. Yes, save the dance. Do you guys have any songs that you couldn't fit into your top three? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, do. this is where we're cheating now because well, we just can't. We just we couldn't fit them all in, but we're going to fit them all in. I'll so just we're give you a list that we didn't fit them in. Yeah, I won't tell okay. you. I'm not going to tell you why or anything. You'll know why just okay. based on what. So my yeah. runners up were all the Duran Duran songs, the entire catalog, yeah. and then they were um, Wham Rap, which I can still sing oh, to this yes. day, and my my both of my girls can sing all the words. We're all very proud of that. Actually, the whole. Fan, fantastic album, Bad Boys, Club Tropicana, just such great songs. Um, Make It Big had not been released yet. So, um, but that whole Wham! Fantastic album, I love. Um, Never Gonna Let You Go by Sergio Mendez. Such a beautiful song. And you guys, that one, that one charted really high. 
gonna try oh, yeah, and make up for the times I hurt you so. Yeah, that was probably on my sad soundtrack when oh, I was for crying sure. in my room. On your oh, bed. it's on. I have mm-hmm. one of my favorite playlists is all my kind of cheesy 70s, 80s ballads, and it's called just like Mellow or something. And believe me, that song is on it. Um, totally <laughs> Clips of the Heart by Bonnie Tyler. Oh, gosh, we loved that song. Chiconic. That's a great karaoke song, too. I love it. Another one on my list is Cat's Strut. I loved the Stray Cats. I love yep. all of Stray Cats music. Yes. I love, we t- we've talked about this before, I think in our 1976 episode, oddly, but because that's when everybody was kind of throwing it back to the 50s. And I think I shared how obsessed I was with that whole 50s culture. So when the Stray Cats came on the scene, I loved everything about them. Rock This Town, um, Stray Cats Strut. I love um, I Won't Stand in Your Way. It's such a beautiful like 50s ballad. Oh God, I love that mm-hmm. song. And then the last one on my runners up was um, Culture Club. Um, well, I had already mentioned Karma Chameleon had tied in my top three, but do you really want to hurt me? I love, still to this day, love that song. Yeah. You know what my favorite Culture Club song is? Hmm. Time. And mm-hmm. what is in the parentheses? I don't even know. Yeah. Clock of the Heart? Clock of the Heart, yeah. That's that perfect marriage of like uh, of British Invasion and Dance Beat. I could, I could listen to that song over and over again and throw myself around like a ragdoll. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I will now share some of mine. Um, this one I wanted to be in my top three, so it's going to be my honorable mention top four. Um, it's You Can't Hurry Love by Phil Collins. Oh, yeah. That's and let me tell you why. This was, you just talked about a perfect meld of music. This was Diana Ross and the Supremes, who I worship, and Phil Collins. How often can a song just come on the radio and you know every single word of that song? <laughs> yeah. I knew every single word of Phil Collins' song. Because in um, where I grew up, on Saturday nights, one of the radio stations played. Basically, it was like Motown Saturday night, like golden oh, oldies. Cool. And we were addicted to that. That's what we played at parties. So I could sing every Diana Ross and the Supreme song. I had every iteration of their anthology album, from the album to the eight track to the cassette. Um, I loved like Build You Up Buttercup, all of those oh, yeah. kind of songs. And so... Imagine the feeling of Phil Collins, who I also loved and worshipped, and he is singing this Diana Ross and the Supreme song, and it's so happy, and I know every single word. No misheard lyrics in that one for me. <laughs> it's not I a come on, I honored that song. Oh, he really yeah. did honor that song. I think he did, too, and I loved it. Other songs that I will share with you from that time that I that are memorable. I don't know, once again, favorite just doesn't really jive with me, but that are memorable and I can go somewhere, would be Mickey by Tony Basil. Truly, true. Stray Cat Strut, Little Red Corvette, Every Breath You Take, Billy Joel's Uptown Girl, you know, that video with Christy Brinkley. Mm -hmm. In the garage. I mean, kind of wild. Rock the Casbah and I'll Tumble for You. I'll Tumble for You. I'll Tumble for You. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Probably because they only say I'll tumble for you for most of the songs. Right. So I know most of the words. <laughs> I really like to know the words that I'm singing. That's really important to me. That's one reason that I've always been so like pump, like puffed up that I know all the words to ra- wham rap because it's so not actually, but it goes really <laughs> fast and there's a million words and I'm singing them so yeah. fast, you know? Like, and I always feel like I'm rapping when I sing wham rap. <laughs> I'm trying to like get one line out from Wham Rap and I can't even do it. I can't oh even God. start. Wham. All I've got is I am, I am a man. A man. A man. Jump, no jump. Maybe I'll record myself doing it. 
Oh yeah, I'm for just sure. realizing how much I listen to older songs like Simon and mm-hmm. Garfunkel. That was on repeat when I was in high school. I could sing every song on that greatest hits. I could sing the boxer, you know, I can all of those. And so I don't know how much that influenced, you know, some of the big songs in 1983 when I was spending my time choosing what to listen to, I guess. Mm, yeah. It was mm-hmm. a lot of this older music. And were you yeah. here's a question for you. Were you were your friends also listening to oldies or was it just you? No, we were all I mean, like I said, the Saturday radio was mm-hmm. um playing that. My um boyfriend at the time really liked Crosby Stills Nash and Young. So mm-hmm. I mean even our song is a song from them back in the whatever seventies. Um yeah, so a lot of the things we listened to were kind of older or at least my friends, um, mm-hmm. a little bit older generation, which is why I think maybe I, I knew all the songs that you guys are talking about. And I think MTV had a lot to do with that. But if I had to say words or songs, I knew all the words to and were on repeat in my life, it would probably be these other artists that I've mentioned. I feel <laughs> like there's a little bit of um, there's an East Coast thing to that listening to older music, because I would visit in the summertime, I would visit my relatives on the East Coast. And these are like boarding school people, too. So they were these were, you know, elite intellectuals. And yet they would listen to some music that I was like, wait, what? That's from like 20 mm. years ago. Or that's like burnout music. And it just goes to show that region has a lot to do with what you listen to and what you think is cool. And what I would think of as burnout music is what the intellectuals were listening to on the East Coast. It was fascinating to me. Well, I'm just sitting up a little taller because you just compared me to an intellectual on the East Coast. <laughs> I'm so. not comparing you to an intellectual. You are an intellectual. He's just saying you are an intellectual. <laughs> okay, I have two that I want to add to the list really quickly. The first one is um, Pass the Duchy. Pass the Duchy on the left-hand side. Pass the Duchy on the left-hand side. That's another one that I, that's the only part I know. Yeah, I know. There's I can't sing anything besides that. So Pass the Duchy is a bus song for me. When somebody, you get on the bus and somebody has a boom box and now we've got Pass the Duchy and you just, and it, you're having fun with your friends on the bus and this is the soundtrack to having fun. And of course, nobody knew what a duchy was. And after a while, you're like, oh, it has to do with pot, right? Yeah. Well, that's what we said in the 80s. We said it has to do with pot. So I decided to dig a little deeper. And maybe I'm late to the party on this and everybody already knows. But this is a cover. So it's by Musical Youth. They were children. And they were past, They were covering a song that was by adults that was called Pass the Coochie. And the oh. coochie is a pot pipe. I don't know what they call a pot pipe today. That's such an 80s word. Um, and so they're like, well, when these kids are singing this song, they can't say pass the pot pipe. What are we going to do? And somehow they come up with Dutchy, and it really does refer to a Dutch oven. Like, pass the Dutch oven to the left-hand side. Like, no. why are you passing a pot? It is. It is. Yes, that's what I they say. They literally say, like, um, jump rope, because isn't there, like, Dutch? That's double, double Dutch. Dutch. Yeah. Dutch, so I yeah. thought maybe, you know, see, I was thinking Dutch oven, fans. like, you know, when someone like, you know, you fart in bed and then you pull the covers over the other person's head. Yeah. I learned uh, something new okay. today. A pot pipe today would be called a vape pen, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. And 
then the other song that I want to bring up is, I know that I said that Big Country is my number one song of 1983, but really I think this is my number one song of 1983, what? and it didn't even get in. I know. I'm so confused. This is just very confusing Sorry, work. listeners. We have to re-record this. So we're starting over, so okay. sit tight. I know. <laughs> Grab a snack. And this one has to do with a dance I learned from a very famous choreographer in Chicago named Gus Giordano, and he taught the choreography to a song... <gasps> Talk Talk by Talk Talk. Notice I did Big Country by Big Country and Talk Talk by Talk Talk. I, oh my God, talk about throwing myself around the, like, a, like a rag doll. I adore Talk Talk. To this day, I adore Talk Talk. Could you remind me of the song? Sing some of it. I do to me is Talk Talk. Talk, talk, talk. I do to me is talk, talk. Okay, you're going to listen to it. Yeah, gonna, I, gonna, I know, the, I know the band Talk, talk, for talk but I don't, that song isn't sounding familiar to me. I didn't see it on any of the lists from all the 1983 songs either. Well, okay, this is a good example of a song. It came out in November of 1982. It didn't get to me until 1983. Um, Probably like, so this was, I went to Chicago to take these classes in February of 1983, and that's when he taught us this, Uh. this dance. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. Get ready for the good part. Here it comes. There are no looks of familiarity on your faces at all. Wait till we get to the chorus. We'll get you to the chorus. We'll see if there's a little spark. Oh, yeah, that part. I remember. But it's not super familiar to me. Oh, you know what? embarrassed to say how I know that. Please tell. I'm pretty sure that somebody probably saying that about me to me, like, all you do is talk to, and I I see these little things going. Oh, no. I think think that's how it was used for me. So I do know the words, but yeah, there you go. Well, okay. Coincidentally, or ironically, I guess, the whole song is about the singer's social anxiety and his torment and social situations because communication, particularly talking, was... He talked about this in his songs all the time about how he didn't like talking. He was notoriously terse and sort of elusive in interviews and things like that. So Talk Talk was supposed to be the next Duran Duran. They thought all they need to do is get... With the right with the right audience, and they'll be the next Duran Duran. So they put them on tour with Duran Duran. They opened up for Duran Duran. But this guy would not play ball. He's like, no, I'm not cozying up to the audience. I'm not talking to the media. I'm not doing any of that. And, you know, because all you want to do is talk, talk. And so th- clearly they did not become the next Duran Duran. <laughs> but this song is, it was a huge club hit. It's still a big club hit, and it's sort of an underground cult uh-huh. hit as well. For me, it feels like the moment that I'm in a dance studio with one of the most famous choreographers in the world. And yeah. so you'd think that after hearing a song for a hun- you know hundreds of times that you do it over and over and over again, that you would get sick of it. But the opposite is actually true. Every time you do it and you do the things with your body, it's like the song gets into your cells. And I'll love it forevermore. Aww. Well, can we see the dance? Oh, I don't remember it. Oh, Not even close. Kristen, you know who did become the next Duran Duran? Who? 
Duran Duran, because they are still <laughs> killing it. <laughs> they oh, really are, actually. feel so lucky to have been a teenager in 1983, to be primed for music at this moment when the radio gave us something so new and so different. It fed our creative souls. Whether you were a creative or not, it didn't matter. We all felt freed in some way by this crazy new wave sound and all of the new things that were coming, the clothes, the hair, the makeup. It was like nothing was off limits. Even if you went to school every day in your preppy sweaters and your dock ciders, you still felt the energy of this rebellion. So if you were a teenager in 1983, consider this. What songs do you associate with happy memories? Make a list, then make a playlist and call it therapy because these songs absolutely have therapeutic value for you. It is medicine. And how lucky are we that the music of our youth was so distinct, so unique to its time and place, so historic And frankly, I'm just going to say it, so much better than the music of anyone else's youth. Thank you, everybody, for listening today and enjoy that playlist. And speaking of playlists, you can find a link to each mine, Kristen, and Michelle's 1983 playlist in our weekly reader. That is our email newsletter that gets to you every Friday. And we also include things like what we're reading, what we're listening to, and some of the shows that we're watching. So if you are not already subscribed, you can sign up at our website, poppreservationists.com, or at the link in our bio on Instagram. And Carolyn, you're talking about not just the songs from this episode, but like all of the contenders that we considered. Yeah, you had like 29 on your list last Mm -hmm. night or whatever. And I think, listeners, this is going to be really fascinating for you to compare and contrast these (laughs) lists. You'll see how distinct each one of them is. It's it's like a game. Then tell us what you think. Then Michelle just puts all the Duran Duran albums on her. Right. It's Um, all Duran (laughs) Duran. And if you want to see portions of this conversation and see me freak out over Duran Duran and see us all get emotional over our song choices, head on over to our YouTube channel. We are Pop Culture Preservation Society on YouTube. And this episode, like all episodes of the Pop Culture Preservation Society, is brought to you today by the lovely people who support us on Patreon. Honestly, we could not keep trekking without them. Today, we are giving a shout out to patrons Amy, Jeremy, Allie, Michelle, Amy, and Felicia. And that is two Amy's spelled two different ways. And honestly, was there a more popular name in the early 70s than Amy? I think not. There was not. <laughs> Thank you all for sharing our podcast with your fellow Gen Xers and for leaving those lovely ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and elsewhere. And it's working, you guys. People are finding us. And that's really exciting. And it's all thanks to you. Yes. Thank you, thanks everybody. so much. In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. To good times. To happy days. To Little House on the Prairie. Cheers. Cheers. The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you. Love and we'll keep moving on.